I provide an update on that Brinks heist. I give my perspective on an excellent article concerning media and crime. Along those lines, I detail an upcoming fiasco on a radio show, and I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including that hurricane. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for September 26th, 2022. Hello, everyone. It's good to be with you uh, wherever you are. And uh, I'm. this is probably the only time, uh, this is probably the last time or the first time that I've said this and probably the last time I will say this for a while. Uh, for once, I hope you aren't where I am. <laughs> We're talking about that. Um, of course, this is the live show for September 26th. 2022 and uh of course i got a lot to talk about uh tonight brought a fantastic uh lineup of topics and subjects and news articles and everything that's what i do and it's been a day got it's been a very strange monday for many reasons as you might imagine but before I get started, if you are watching, please give this video a thumbs up. You know I say that every week, and I'm going to keep saying it. Please give this video a thumbs up. It's important. Do it. Appreciate it. On your tablet, on your phone, on your laptop, if you're in your car, if you're on a plane, on a submarine, or in a submarine, uh, wherever you may be, on your yacht, Give it a thumbs up. Of course, if you're not yet a subscriber to this channel, if you're just happening upon this live show for the first time, just stumbling upon it, please hit the subscribe button down there in the bottom right-hand corner. That would uh, certainly help things out. And if you'd like to go one step further, and I, I urge you to do so, please consider joining this channel becoming a member for the low, 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 low price of 10 cents a day, and that will not go up despite inflation what it, is, what it is these days. And for that, you get all sorts of cool stuff. You can just hit the join button. Hitting the join button does not automatically subscribe you. It just kind of reveals uh, what you uh, get for being a member here, and I think it's some cool stuff. So uh, why not consider it? 10 cents a day. For you business majors out there, that means it's $3 a month. Okay, well, let's see who's in here uh, for this this live show tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. Of course, for those of you listening as a podcast, I would love to read off all of your names, but I have no idea who is listening to this the day after. Uh, Who is Charlene gets in first, the artist. Charlene, I know you, Charlene. I know who you are, Charlene. Hello, Charlene, an early hello, everyone, from Tullamore, Ireland. I certainly do love Unfound's Ireland fans. Spectacular. Valerie, what's going on? Valerie, hello. Marlene is in on time tonight. Everybody write that down. Marlene is in on time. Uh, 
Ed met. Yeah, my best friend. Okay. Yeah, Charles is in here somewhere. I'll get to him eventually. Hello, everything uh, 2020. Um, and Marlene is giving a message to Charles, who, like I said, I know is in here somewhere. And Charlene, that's awesome. Okay. Just reading um, down people having some conversations between themselves. Uh, Charles says, I'm in Highland Ranch, too. Been here since 2010. Hello, nephew Charles. We got a thing going on here in Florida right now, Charles. And I did talk to your mother. Uh, was it yesterday or the day before? I can't remember. I think it was Saturday. I spoke to your mom, my sister, and uh, Valerie's in the desert. Uh, I wish I was in the desert right about now. Valerie LaFord, good to see you. Thanks for tuning in. Moana, I know who Moana is now. Hello. Charles with the rocker uh, emojis. Love it. Jasmine, Idaho, been there, just kind of through there. So a lot of people tuning in tonight, uh, maybe just because I've been uh, posting so much about the hurricane. Hello, Kathy. Uh, thank you for those words. We're going to do what we can here. Laura says, still in the hospital, but getting stronger. I've been following your post today, Laura. I hope you pull out of it absolutely fine. Hello, Coffee. Got your emails today. Cult is in Florida. Suzanne. Thank you for moderating tonight, Sheree. Thank you uh, for taking some time out of your Monday. Hello, Deborah. What's going on? Barbara, there's hope. Good to see you. There's hope. Amy, uh, you're helping my get my, through my last hour of work. You're welcome. I do this for free, Amy. And a bit of weather. Yeah, stay safe. Okay, every, I'm caught up to everybody. Hello, Jody. Good to see you. Uh, as many of you know, we got this thing called Hurricane Ian that's coming up through the Caribbean. It looks to be a uh, an event, and some of you know that I was just outside on the beach maybe about an hour and 15 minutes ago. It was absolutely spectacular out there. I was just kind of doing a little homework, um, seeing how many lights were still on condos uh, on the beach. And I, I have to say there were quite a few condos, I mean condo buildings down to the south, down to the north. Quite a few people still in those condos, so I don't feel quite crazy yet. But, um, you know, in my building here, there are 72 condos, and I counted condos with 31 lights in them. But it's still Monday night. There's still tomorrow to leave, but at some point, uh, I know they said like mid-morning on tomorrow, they're going to shut down the Skyway Bridge, which goes between Pinellas County, like St. Petersburg, Florida, and Sarasota, that big, beautiful bridge. Have you seen it or driven over it? They're going to su shut that down tomorrow, probably mid-morning. And then eventually, I don't know when, but they will shut down all of the causeways that go between Pinellas and Tampa, which is over in Hillsborough County. There are three of them. There's the Gandhi, the Howard Franklin, and the Courtney Campbell. And the Gandhi is really not relevant to my travel, although I go across it when I go to play down at Picnic Island, which is like twice a year. That's about it. But the Courtney Campbell and the Howard Franklin, I go across quite a bit. So they'll be shutting those down probably later tomorrow. The big difference is they're a lot closer to the water, whereas the Skyway Bridge is, you know, it's it's just different. Uh, it's a little more dangerous, I guess. 
So um, they'll be shutting that down. And so some decisions have to be made for me. Now, I already have a hotel reserved over in Kissimmee. And, you know, I'm starting to weigh because Kissimmee is really not out of the danger zone either. Uh, Of course, uh, you know, there's still going to be a bunch of rain, still going to be a bunch of wind. Uh, Of course, traveling over there, who knows what I'm going to get into with that. There's still going to be a chance of tornadoes all over the place, including right where I'm staying. So I'm starting to weigh these things. You know, what am I supposed to do here? And on top of that, my nephew is getting married on Thursday, which I just I'm not going to make it. I'm just not going to. I, I'm, I'm guessing they're going to get married. I just don't know if anybody's going to be there. Like my brother Michael's supposed to be flying in on Wednesday to Tampa. That won't be happening. So um, it's, it's a quandary. You know, my dad has actually told me to just stay if you can believe it. Um, but I'm not as convinced. I still have some time to make uh, a decision, but – I'm going to have to make the decision by probably noon tomorrow. I've talked myself into, um, I said, do you know, do I want to leave right, like right after the live show here tonight and drive over there? But you know, my reservation, I can't even get into the room until like three o'clock in the afternoon. So might be easier to drive over there, but then I'm going to have to sit in my car or do something for a while. Probably either place, either here or there, the electricity is going to go off. The only big deal, big difference, is that here, the winds could get to like 110 miles an hour, something like crazy. Whereas over in the middle of the state, kind of getting toward the middle of the state, they'll only be like 70 to 80 miles an hour. And the other difference is that uh, in this motel over there i think it's like two stories whereas here i'm on the eighth floor of course i could go down to the second floor you wouldn't want to go down to the first floor because that's outside i could go down to the second floor by taking the steps my car is now parked on the second level so i don't have to worry about it getting storm surged or anything although it's going to get hammered with rain needs washed anyway so i'm making all of these calculations uh in my head uh as i sit here tonight and uh, i've moved um moved all of kind of the valuable stuff uh over into this guest bedroom where i used to do the live show because that is the room that is furthest or farthest from the windows Because you have to understand, uh, the storm is going to be coming from that direction, which is like southwest. And it's supposed to come up this direction and go right up into Tampa Bay. And now Tampa Bay is like over in that direction. It's just going to come right up this direction, allegedly. And uh, let me see something. Okay. And... um, you know, it's just one of those things. In Tampa, we've had hurricanes go by. We have Irma like five years ago that went by. But the thing about um, these storms is that, you know, they're, they're very finicky. 
And just being 50 miles one way or the other way can make all the difference. Like when Irma came up, it hit like an hour south of here. And it really wasn't that bad. And in fact, my old place in Madeira Beach, which is on the ground floor and probably it was like one foot above sea level, no problems. In contrast to after I moved here, I think I've talked about this. After I moved here in May of 2019, in 2020, so like a year later, it wasn't even a hurricane. It was a tropical storm. And I have to tell you, I don't even remember it. But just because of the way it came through the Gulf and the direction it took, even though the winds were like only like 50 miles an hour and everything else, my old place in Madeira Beach got flooded. I like not just like like an inch, like two feet, like three feet. Had I been living there, everything would have been destroyed. So we had a hurricane come through just three years before that, just south of there, no problems. A tropical storm, just a little more north at a different angle, just completely destroyed, not the place, just the place I lived into, but my landlord lived next door. Her place was destroyed. The other uh, renter who was in that building, their place got destroyed. I mean, it was horrible. But that's once again at ground level. And like I said, that building is like, I think one foot above sea level. I mean, I'm joking, but it's it, it's not much more than that. So you never can tell. And I can remember being there in what year must have that been? 2012, 2013, when Tropical Storm Deborah came through. It was three days of nothing but monsoon rains. The street out in front of my place, in fact, I saw a video up from back then when I had my old Pontiac Grand Prix. Um, on Facebook, the water kind of got really crazy out in front of my place and was kind of lapping up to the door. And it came when cars would go by the, the water, the wake would come up to my front door, but that's as bad as it got. And it rained for three days. But once again, it just depends on the direction when the tide is, it's just, it's a certain combination of things. But most of the time when you're talking about, at least in this area, you're talking about storm surge and really the storm surge for, if we're to believe Ian is going to do what it's going to do, uh, is going to be horrible, but it doesn't concern me that much. It doesn't, I mean, there will be storm surge here, but I'm on the eighth floor. My car is like on the second floor, which means it's like, 30 feet above sea level or something. So it has no chance of getting swamped. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it could be that this area right in here where I live, the Gulf is over here. I'm giving you Gulf is over here. Um, there's a bay, not Tampa Bay, just a little bay. What's it called? Boca Ciega Bay or something is right over here to the east. It very, those two could merge. It's certainly possible <laughs> that Gulf Boulevard and everything, it just is going to be underwater. It's certainly possible. But the places that are really going to get hard, hit hard, it seems, are over in Tampa Bay. All that water being pushed up into the bay, and that has never happened since Tampa became a major, major city. So, you know, the big thing I'm thinking about, the only thing I'm really worried about is the wind. 
I'm not worried about the rain. I'm not concerned about the storm surge or anything. And I'm not even concerned about the power going out. I, you know, I can live with that. Uh, in Pennsylvania, the power used to go out all the time with snowstorms. It's no big deal. It's just the wind. It's, and the other problem is that, as all of you know, the, I don't own this condo. I rent. And this condo does not have storm, you know, the storm shutters that you can pull down. The, the, the condo over here to my right does, but nobody's ever there. And so the storm shutters are always closed. And I really, there aren't a lot of condos here in this building that have storm shutters. Well, that's the first issue. The second issue is I think the sliding glass door behind me, and I have a sliding glass door in my bedroom, which also goes out onto the balcony. I think that they were have been in here since this building was built 35 years ago or something. And that even when you get like a pretty good wind going, like 30 miles an hour around here, these doors, which come together this way, so it's not one door, it's like two doors that come together like this, they whistle at 30 miles an hour. And as we know with wind, it's exponential. So if the wind power doubles from 30 to 60 miles an hour, actually in power terms, it quadruples. So that kind of concerns me. So that's the wind. I don't care about the rain, the tornadoes and things. It's Well, the tornadoes are wind, but you know what I'm saying. So these are all things that I'm going, you know, that are going through my head. So am I safer here or do I go to Kiss, Kissimmee or Kissimmee, Kissimmee, where I'll, you know, I'll be in there, but it's some little, you know, rinky dink motel. And yes, the wind won't be as bad, but it's still going to rain. I don't know. I'll, I might get flooded over there. Who knows? Who knows where I'm going to be able to park my car? Uh, still tornadoes. Wind still, you know, wind uh, tornadoes. Surely a tornado hitting a little building like that is a lot different if one were to hit this building. A lot worse for there. So these are all things that uh, that are going through my head. And dare I say it, you know, I've always seen all these videos. I am a little fascinated with hurricanes. Um, I, you know, I've wa- you know, I've watched them. I see you can watch videos on YouTube about them and watch their tracks and all these famous hurricanes: Hurricane Andrew, Hurricane Charlie, Katrina. Of of course, all of them. I wouldn't say I'm a meteorology geek though, but just how they, you know, their paths and everything. And one of my favorite Humphrey Bogart movies is Key Largo, which is about a hurricane. So it's like, well, this is kind of my chance to experience one of these things and see what it's really, really like and to maybe scare the pants off of myself and everything else. So, you know, these are things that are going through my mind. Um... But certainly it's going to be much worse for most people than it's going to be for me, no matter what. I mean, these people who have some of these homes, you know, kind of in that direction going east, kind of southeast from me. Like I, I texted back and forth with my old landlord from down in Madeira Beach. She's absolutely convinced they're going to get flooded and I have to agree. I mean, it's just going to be. 
it's I, I just can't I just can't if it if it's what they say is going to happen, the storm surge is just going to be crazy. If you if you go look at the maps, what the prediction is, not good at all. Whereas here, it's I mean they're like predicting over ten foot storm storm surge down here down that direction, over here where I am, maybe five six feet, which obviously is not good. But 10, 12 feet is much worse. So, um, I'm just weighing my options. Got time uh, to think about this. Probably I got about 12 hours to weigh the options. And I'm going to try to see if there are anybody uh, else in this building who's going to be staying. Uh, I think the people who I've seen, I've run into so far, don't live here. They're like tourists or something. So, it's easy for them to leave to go back where they're from. I'd like to run into some people who actually live here like I do. So maybe I'll be able to do that tomorrow morning. There are still a lot of cars in the parking lot. Like I said this evening, there were still a ton of lights. Almost 50% of the the condos had lights in them. So that is what is going on here. But it's one of those things, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. I was like, you know, I've seen, you know, this, this, uh, hurricanes go blasting through key west and i've seen hurricanes going down in the miami area but one thing i always try to remind myself you know there's a lot of hurricanes and a lot more many more hurricanes have hit miami than have hit tampa you never hear about any condo buildings collapsing you don't hear about anybody dying in one of those condos and everything so you know, that goes through my mind. And dare I say it, they keep absolute. This is not like that condo that collapsed in, you know, down in Miami last year or whenever it was. Uh, they take, I mean, absolute crazy good care of this place. I mean, they, you would never know that this building was built in 1986 or whenever it was. I mean, it really looks new. So no cracks or anything. I mean, they keep it painted. I mean, it's really good. I, I really give them huge compliments for that. So it's just, of course, I went down. Here's a funny story. Um, I did go down and speak to the assistant building manager, who I know fairly well. I, I go down there once in a while, um, something, whatever's going on. But I was talking about I, and she goes, well, you know, it, does, it wins at those speeds. This building's going to be swaying. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Huh. And that, but that's not unusual. If any of you have ever worked in a tall skyscraper, even not to morbidly bring it up, but like the World Trade Centers or things, if you worked on those top floors, those buildings swayed too. They're meant to. That's by design. And there are ways to counter that. And even like in Japan, where they have earthquakes, they have tall skyscrapers and they make things that. Uh, counter weights and things that if the building starts to go one way, the, the weight goes the other and kind of evens everything out. So, and I'm only on the eighth floor. It's not like I'm on the 20th floor, which is the top one. So uh, that is uh, what's going on. And uh, as somebody stated, maybe a, a few years ago when another hurricane hit Florida or something, um, it's a fantastic uh, imagery, but watching these, watching a hurricane like this is like being stalked by a turtle. 
What a fantastic, fantastic statement. I wish I would have thought of that. But that's really what it's like. Um, you're just waiting. And, and you know that there's nothing you can do to avoid it. You are totally in Mother Nature's hands. And uh, even though it's like a 2,000 miles away or something, they already kind of show the general idea where it's going to go and you can't avoid it. Well, you can't avoid it, but there's wherever it's going to go, it's going to go. Even though it's 2,000 miles away, you can't stop it. Maybe one of these days, uh, some scientists will figure out a way to um, stop these uh, hurricanes before they start. I've even heard stories about, you know, could you detonate a nuclear bomb in, in one of these hurricanes and disperse it? Disperse it. I've read about it. So there you go. So what is everybody saying here? I know I've been rattling on uh, for a while. Uh, Kissimmee is a bad idea because Orlando might flood what might. Cult, um, that's certainly true. I guess it just depends where you are. And there's gonna, and I haven't even mentioned there's going to be a ton of rain. Sheree's saying don't stay. Uh, the Roracle, better safe than sorry. Better leave, head to a safe area. Go to Southeast Florida. That's the safest place. Funny you bring that up. Uh, Dr. Telesco contacted me. Of course, she lives down in Southeast Florida, East Florida, where I was last week. She asked me what I was doing. Uh, Jody became a, a member. Thank you, Jody. If you see that little green box, Jody has become a member of this channel for the low, low, low price of 10 cents a day. Jody, thank you very much. Awesome. And Lorelai, good to see you. Of course, Lorelai, former guest. Uh, good to see you, Lorelai. And uh, people talking back and forth. Laura says, my grandmother is home Sasa. I know where that is. And there's a d- good, decent disc golf course over there. The Real says, I lost track of time. Well, you are in Australia. Sheree says, yep, the wind is the main thing. Uh, Suzanne, got to be safe. Um. Uh, Marlene says, yes, the wind is what scares me. Yeah. It's, you know, I guess it's probably cause it's the most visible thing. You see video of it and you see the palm trees swaying and you see, you know, uh, roofs flying off and everything. Of course. Um, Shree said now it's within two minutes. Shree says, Charlie, uh, Shree says, well, you do make a lot of good points about staying right it out and hit the re- hit record. Yeah. Hit record, hit record. Yeah, there's an idea. Yeah, I got you, Marlene. Barbara, hello, Barbara. Good to see you. Marlene says, make a good decision, Ed. We evacuated twice and survived the rest. Great. Kavya says, I would drive to Pennsylvania after the live show if it were me. I'm not driving to Pennsylvania. And thank you, Jody. So that's what's going on. Uh, the All I can tell you is the episode for this Friday is going to get done. In fact, I already recorded it today. I just have to splice it all together. All the recording is done. Um, I do have to edit the uh, interview, but I could do that anywhere at any time. Uh, so we are going to have an episode this Friday. Of course, I'll talk about that, that disappearance before we're done tonight. But I can make no guarantees about next Friday. Uh, regarding anything. I don't know because even if I stay here, the power's surely going to be out. And that's one of those things. The power's probably going to be out over there too. So would I rather be in some motel room with the power out 
Or would I rather be here with the power out? I think I'd rather be here. So um, there's all of that. But so I don't know what's going to happen for next Friday because if the power goes out, I don't know how long it'll take to get it put back on out here. I can tell you the last time in Madeira Beach, we were like the first people to get our power back. And my brother and his wife, who lived only 20 minutes away, it took like four days for them to get their power back. I don't know why. So we just don't, um, you know, it's like six. It just feels to me like right now, six of one, uh, half dozen of the other. And like the deciding point is that wind. I don't care about the rain. I don't care about the surge. None of that stuff. It's the wind. Um, as coffee says, Ed, you do you, I do do me that that's funny coffee. The real, I've been in the eye of a cyclone. It was cyclone Craig. It wasn't a very high category by the time it hit us though. I wrote as an essay all night cause it was too loud to sleep. Got an A. Wow. I would stay if you don't care about the power going out. Yeah. The power's going to go. I, I can't control that. Now this building does have a generator, but it's all it, it you know i don't know if it actually can provide how long it can run i don't know how long it can provide electricity i do know that they have it that it'll run like the elevators and things so i just don't know but uh, as i have written in my notes it's big trouble for tampa city uh, if you any of you know the musical the music man uh you know big trouble with a capital t in that that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. 76 trombones led the big parade, followed by 110 cornets close behind, followed by rows and rows of the finest virtuos. How do I know that? I, I, I When I was a kid, I was in a, a music show where we sang parts of musicals. And I, those those lines still are in my head like 40 years later. I like no songs from like... um like West Side Story, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. I've never seen the movie, but I did the show like when I was 11, and I still remember the lyrics all these years later. I don't know. So we got big trouble here in Tampa City. And um, I don't know. I don't know if you can see it, but do you? I don't know if you can see it. Let me go this way. Do you see this orange thing right here? That is that lacrosse net that I had out on the balcony, I brought it inside this evening. So there's nothing out there now. In fact, the chairs that were out there are lined up in front of my TV. So I'm doing what I can. I put my keyboard, my guitar, uh, some other things over in this other bedroom, kind of move things away from the windows. What am I going to do? So otherwise, uh, really as far as disc golf goes, it really has not been on my mind. Uh, I did play doubles last Tuesday, but really just been doing a lot of work. Of course, as you know, I did a couple speaking engagements, which I will talk about in a bit. So that's what's going on in my hurricane life. That is, uh, you know, it's one of those things where once it starts happening, you know, you can't, you know, get it out of your mind. You know, it's it's coming, whether you stay, whether you go. 
it just is always there. And this is not something, of course, when I lived in Pennsylvania, we had snowstorms, but that's totally different. And um, like when I lived in Las Vegas, they really don't get any storms there. Uh, of course, when it rained, you get a lot of flooding just because the drainage wasn't very good. Maybe a couple sandstorms, but that's no big deal. Of course, of course, earthquakes are scary because you never know when they can hit, but you have to live in an area where they could possibly hit. Hurricanes are just a different thing. Maybe tornadoes, certainly in the Midwest. They can pop up at any time, and you don't get any warning sometimes. So that's certainly scary, but it's just the the width, the power, and everything that these hurricanes hold. It's just – and they're all natural. That's the thing. Uh, we think that we have like um, powerful nuclear bombs. The energy that these hurricanes have in them are so much more than anything that humans have ever created. It's just crazy. So Hurricane Ian, I-A-N. All right, moving on. Uh, let's move on to some unfound items. And um, like I said, this Friday, the episode's going to come out. In fact, it's going to come out early. In fact, do not be surprised if the episode for this Friday comes out tomorrow when this live show podcast comes out tomorrow. Do not be surprised if that happens. And then for next Friday, I just, I just like I said, I don't know. Uh, I'm guessing that really I don't have an interview yet done, and that's one of the things is that to have an episode, I need to do an interview. And I don't know if I'm going to have cell phone service and, you know, what am I going to do about putting it all together? I could certainly record it somewhere. It's just a lot of logistics regarding all, all of that. So we just don't know. And then the weird thing is like the week after I'm going on a five-day disc golf trip. And then two weeks after that, I'm going to Colorado for the recharge, which I'll get into in a moment. But so things are going on. Stuff's going on. All right, moving on. Uh, of course, this past Friday was the disappearances, were the disappearances of Bernard Rusness and Peggy McKay. Joe Kistner was the guest. That's his second time joining us. I thought he did a fantastic job. And I put the poll. I gave a bunch of different answers, and uh, Kathy and Twinkle were not uh, – we thought there weren't enough answers in there, but uh, they can be very specific sometimes, which is totally fine. But the in the dis uh, in the discussion group, this was one of the closest polls ever. Now, the number one choice with thirty six percent of the vote was that Bernard Rustness and Peggy McKay uh, died by accident, so they did go. They were in the house, it burned, they died, their bodies got incinerated, and that's what happened. 36% of uh, the discussion group picked that. The other two choices were right behind it, 30% each, and each of them had to do with foul play. One in which um, there was somebody who came in and took Bernard and Peggy away, and another one where Bernard did this all on his own. So even though on one hand, technically the most popular choice 
with 36% was an accident, actually 60% of the people actually believe that some sort of foul play occurred, even though they're two different choices. So, But it's one of the closest votes ever. And I'm not surprised. I think the disappearance does lend itself to uh, different interpretations. So when the think tank, of course, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast would love for you to become a member. In fact, I've been meaning to post something in the group just to make sure everybody understands what goes on at Patreon. And I'm going to list all the the things you get for very, very uh, low monthly fee. Been meaning to put that in the discussion group and elsewhere. Maybe that's something I can do uh, while this hurricane is raging, if the power's still on, that is. But in the think tank group, it was just about as mixed as the discussion group was. A lot of different opinions, a lot of different answers, no consensus at all. Zero. Accident, foul play by Bernard and Peggy, foul play by somebody else, foul play by somebody in one of their families. A lot of different things. Uh, and we had eight people in there. We must have had like three different theories going on in there that were getting equal weight. But for me, of course, I'm the one that actually, you know, has to go on the record. I have to put it in writing, although this writing is not technically public. But if you'd like to see my opinions on these disappearances, which, of course, I do not put in the episodes and I rarely even talk about them on the live show. Uh, for me, I decided that this was an accident. And if you'd like to know why I came to that conclusion, please go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and sign up. I would say in general, though, maybe this, maybe some of you knowing me the way you do and how I've talked about other disappearances, maybe that aren't unfound disappearances where I've offered up opinions maybe about Maura Murray or Jennifer Kessie, or even when Sherry Papini was still considered to be somebody who actually got abducted. Um, you know me, I usually like to keep things pretty simple. I like to stay away from f- really complicated plans and things. And so I think an accident is the most straightforward answer. That does not mean it's not possible that somebody else caused this fire and everything. It just seems to me a lot more complicated that way. So there you go. Let's see what everybody uh, is saying in here before um, I move on. A lot of people talking tonight. A lot of people typing out there. I love it. Typing, um, talking amongst themselves. Uh, which is totally fine to me. I'm more than happy to talk and have people doing their own thing. Katie says, I think probably staying makes the most sense. If the wind gets scary, you can go down to the second floor. Like you said, you're going to get rain, wind, and power outages no matter where you go. Yeah, thank you, Katie. Twinkle, I hate that you have to deal with the hurricane, Ed. Well, you are a survivor. Twinkle, I tried to warn Hurricane Ian. I, I, I gave him my best F-bombs and everything else. Didn't listen. What can I say? He's coming to Florida. Um, That's Sarah says, uh, sorry, I'm late. Busy day. Sarah, I'm the only person who's not allowed to be late. That's totally fine. 
Kay Klein, I live in Largo. Oh, do you, Kay Klein? Like 20 minutes away. That's where my uh, brother lives. I live in Largo, and I'm going to be a Holiday Inn near at 19. Their generator will power the first floor only. And luckily, that's where our room is. Exhausted now from all the preparations. I guess you must... Uh, in Largo, are you in an evacuation zone over there, K. Klein? In Largo, are there some evacuation zones there? That's interesting. Okay. Uh, Puma says, you keep your hurricanes and I'll take my chances with twisters. I don't like water. I think, I, don't, I just don't know which one I prefer, Puma. Um, moving on down here. Uh, what's everybody saying? What's everybody saying? Um, talking about dogs, uh, Jack, our Jack has been gone 19 years talking about puppies, love puppies. I just don't have any patience. Um, there's hope. Would it be difficult to head up to your dad's for the duration? Be safe, uh, buddy. Um, that's a little far. Uh, you're always welcome here in South Texas. Ed, once again, a little far. Um, the funny part is that I have a cousin who uh, who lives – this is a cousin from my adoptive family, not my biological family. But she lives here in Clearwater. She's not in an evacuation zone, but unfortunately she has COVID right now. So uh, look at that timing. So thank you for all the best wishes. I, I will try to make a good decision. It just doesn't seem uh, like they're, it's ha six of one, half dozen of the other. Moving on, uh, maybe to nicer things, surely to nicer, nicer things. Last week, I got to speak at Florida Southern College, which was fantastic. Uh, Dr. Carter and her students were fantastic. Very attentive. Asked a lot of great questions. I got over there, loved the campus, loved the room where I spoke, everything, all techno the technical stuff, technologically, hooking up my computer and everything went so well. And uh, as you, some of you already know, I uh, posted the Q&A part of it so all of you could watch that. Of course, if you are a member of this channel or you are a Patreon supporter, you get to watch the whole presentation, which ran about an hour and a half. But I decided to uh, make the Q&A part of it, which was at the end, uh, available to everyone. So I hope you enjoyed that. I realized that some of the questions are a little hard to hear. We didn't have like a microphone or anything, but for the most part, I think you could tell what the kids said, the kids said, and, and then, then I, I think by my answers, maybe you could tell what the question was, but so it went really well. And it's just amazing. I hadn't done, hadn't done a present presentation since March and it's just so weird. So six months ago. Not nervous at all. It's, I just felt very prepared. Of course, I have my um, PowerPoint presentation, so I don't have to do it all off the top of my head. But it just feels so right. It just feels so good. And so it was a great time there. Got over there kind of early. I didn't speak till nine, but I got there at like 10 after eight because you never know what the traffic's going to be like between here and there in lakeland kind of drove around for a little bit did the presentation got back in my car 
came back home. Uh, they had a reserved parking spot. Maybe some of you saw the picture that I posted. They had a reserved parking place with for me with my name there, which is not something uh, they told me. She told me there was a reserved spot. I didn't know they were going to do that, though, so that was pretty cool. And then on the very next day, I uh, left from here about quarter after one and got down to Davie, Florida. Got to my Airbnb somewhere around five o'clock or something like that. And um, hung out, got some work done. It was a nice little Airbnb. There was only one thing about it that I didn't like. There was like, there was something, there was like its own building attached to a bigger house. I had my own room. I had my own entrance and all of that. But there was something that would come on in the house that would vibrate one of the walls and it would come on for like two or three minutes and then go away for like a half hour, then come back on. I don't know if it was an AC unit. I don't know if it was like a hot water heater or something. But that was a little annoying. Other than that, it was a great little little tiny cozy place. And the bed was comfortable and, and everything else. The shower was great. Great Wi-Fi. And it was only like four miles from the campus. So I uh, got up, drove over there uh, to um, Nova Southeastern, got my spot, went in there. And stu- I met the student who was uh, kind of leading me around. And eventually, of course, I saw Dr. Telesco, got everything set up in that classroom, did, this, did the, the presentation, uh, was, went fantastically. Unfortunately, I videoed it, but something happened. It Only the first half got recorded. My phone turned off or something. I don't know. So I only got the first half of it. So no Q&A, for example, in that one. And then after I was done, went to lunch, had some fantastic pizza with Dr. Telesco and uh, some of the students and some of the faculty administration there. Great time. And then on the way uh, back to campus, if I can say that, uh, Dr. Telesco and I had a great discussion about guns, which I'm always ready to talk to anybody about guns at any time. And uh, we just got on to that. And then she set me up in her office because I don't know if she went home for a while or something. So I did my unfound work in her office, which was neat for like three hours. And then, of course, we got all set up and did the live show. And doing that live show reminded me a lot of when I used to do live show work because you're never quite sure if it's going to come together or not. Even if you do it night after night after night after night, something always goes on. Somebody shows up late. uh, A spotlight goes out. You never know what can happen. But that was kind of the way that was. But then we got started, and I thought it went great. And we did that right in our office, and uh, it was good. And then uh, we were done, and they gave me uh, – hold on a second. I'll show you what they gave me. Show you here. Uh, I got this. This uh, Nova uh, School of Criminal Justice. How cool is that? And then I also got this for speaking. And I also got a shirt, but it's actually in the in the wash right now because I've worn it since uh, last Thursday. 
So I can't show you that maybe next time. So it was all good. And then I got in my car, drove back here to uh, Clearwater, and I got to listen to the Steeler game on satellite radio on the way back. It's just really nice, cool, chill ride back. Steelers lost, but I really didn't care because I picked in my hood, in my football picks, I picked the Browns to win anyway. So, but it was all good. Just, it just feels so natural to be up in front of the uh, students speaking. Uh, once again, the group, the, the class down at Nova Southeastern uh, asked a lot of great questions. And in fact, afterwards, they got a bonus point or something for writing something about my presentation. And uh, today, Dr. Telesco wrote, sent me some of those things that were written to her, which were all very complimentary. So that that was cool. So so it was good. Um, and I hope you uh, watched the live show last uh, Thursday night. If not, I hope you maybe caught it in the replay. Let's see what everybody uh, is saying here. Uh, Melissa says, I haven't had time to watch the video yet. Oh, the Q and a, uh, yeah, Melissa, it's about, um, 15 minutes long, something like that. Uh, and they were very good questions. Both schools, uh, very students asked me some very, I got some, a couple questions that I had been asked before, but some of them were new, very insightful questions. It certainly showed that, uh, at least the question, the students who asked the questions were listening. Um, <laughs> Melissa says at first I thought it was a hairspray can. Uh, no, this is a, uh, thing to put water in, but that's funny. I can, I can see why you thought that Melissa. Hey, fairy magic. What's going on? Good to see you. Um, fairy says I enjoyed your presentation. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let me go down to one of the questions that was, uh, asked of me before uh the show got started tonight this comes from penny i don't know if penny is in here or not but uh, i'm going to answer her question and if she's not here she'll just have to catch it in the replay she asked is there any or is there any sort of missing people software and what she meant by that is is there anything out there that where you could just type fact or data into some sort of computer program and find out where, for example, missing persons are most likely to happen or anything like that. Uh, or, you know, is this person going to come back? No, no, there, there isn't. Um, certainly that would, I would love for that to be something that Criminal justice majors, criminology students, doctorates in criminology, sociology, what you know, of course, computer experts. Uh, I would certainly love for all of them to get together to be, you know, see if something like that could even be created. I think it would help. And in fact, conceptually, I've talked about that in the past. I've talked about how one of the problems with disappearances and i this is was uh stated in both presentations that i did last week and all the presentations i think this topic has come up is that one of the big problems about disappearances is the person who is going to come back in three days their disappearance at the beginning 
looks the same as the person who isn't going to come back at all. Same people, same age, same demographics, same things going on with in their lives. John Smith, uh, number one, will disappear for three days and then come back for some reason. John Smith, number two, will disappear and not come back at all. Same circumstances. It, and when I say that, circumstances, at least to the naked eye, at least to the human brain. But I continue to insist that there are there is just so much in, information involved in all of these disappearances that no human can see those subtle differences, the subtle changes. And uh, even for myself, as you know, one of the things that I do at these presentations is uh, talk about different types of disappearances. And that's certainly a thing. But even I am open to the idea that maybe these disappearances uh, need to be classified in a different way. Maybe there is a more efficient way, a more constructive way to classify them. Still working on that. And maybe it's beyond a human's, a human's uh, capabilities to do that. So maybe if we could start putting uh, all of you know some sort of database, and it wouldn't be have to be way more complicated than Namus, something where an algorithm could be created that eventually, to speak of a missing persons program or software, that when a police officer does show up for a missing persons report, instead of having the paper and filling it out, maybe he has an app on his phone. Opens that app. There are questions there. There are 10 questions. Ask those 10 questions. Yes or no, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. And then at the end, the program itself can give a probability as to that person remaining missing more than a week or less than a week, more than a month, less than a month. It's more likely that that person is going to come back all by herself or does this is this the type of person who might not come back at all. I really believe we can get to that point because even in other parts of criminology, like for murders, using stats, they can almost predict when and where murders are going to happen. They don't know the name of the victim. They don't know who the murder is going to be. But they can pretty much tell using stats that have been uh, gathered over years and years and years that most likely in this square block, in this certain amount of time, something's going to happen. If you can do that with that, then surely you can do that with disappearances too. So, Penny, uh, the answer is no, but surely this is something that we can all aspire to. So, um, but I, and I know it does, uh, seem a little fantastic, a little, maybe Star Trek-y or something, but I think we're capable of it. Certainly. Certainly. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is we have to look at something else. Uh, if we can determine the results of elections well before, the election is had just by doing polls 
and pulling like 30 to 40, 50 people in a state, randomly in a state to predict who's going to win, even though a state has millions of people, then surely we can do something like that for disappearances. My idea. Uh, let's moving on. Uh, Kay says, Ed, I always wonder if you have the data from your shows on Excel. Uh, it's something that I need to update, but I do. Uh, Melissa, not unless we have the machine from person of interest. I know what that show is. I've never, uh, watched it. It does not surprise me that some show would have something like that on it. It does sound a little sci-fi ish, but I think statistically, I think I'm on very sound ground when I state that humans can create something like that. Melissa says the murder matrix was a thing in person of interest. So weird. It's uh, that is that happens in real life. I was just maybe I talked about that on a recent live show. It's hard for me sometimes to keep these things straight, but um, this is a real thing that they can can predict. Um, they can predict murders that are gonna happen within a certain period of time on these particular blocks. It's crazy. So there is your answer, Penny. So let's move on to one of the news items that I want to discuss tonight. Remember, um, I don't know, maybe a month ago, I talked about that Brinks heist in California where they were in, I think, San Jose and the Brinks truck picked up all this jewelry and it was going down to another show in LA and on the way the Brinks pulled over and the Brinks truck got broken into and all this stuff was stolen. I have an update um, to that story. I know you're all going to be very suspicious about this. I'm going to read the story. I think this is from, um, this comes from the Washington Post or the New York Times. Parked at a truck stop in Southern California in early July, Brinks truck had it all. Gold, gemstones, Rolex watches, and a guard sound asleep. Thieves broke into the truck and made off with 22 bags of the jewelry, according to two lawsuits. The owners of the jewelry say they lost tens of millions of dollars in the heist, and law enforcement officials are searching for the thieves. In the meantime, the armored truck company and the jewelry owners are arguing in dueling lawsuits about how much money Brinks must repay. More than a dozen jewelers filed their suit this week against Brinks, which uses armored trucks to transport and deliver valuables such as cash and jewelry jewelry the jewelers are accusing brinks of mishandling the expensive property and then leaving the truck susceptible they say their businesses are in ruin and they're suing for hundreds of millions of dollars everyone in our group has been emotionally and financially destroyed the plaintiff said we are lost and do not know what comes next in our lives whatever plans we all have for the future for our businesses and our families has evaporated in an instant Brinks disputes the total loss, alleging in its lawsuit that the jewelers understated the value of their items in declarations before the company began transporting the values to Los Angeles. The total declared value of the stolen items, the Brinks lawsuit claims, is $8.7 million. The company, which operates more than 16,000 vehicles in 100 countries, revealed in its lawsuit that one of its guards was sleeping as the heist took place. Both lawsuits detail the truck's journey from San Francisco Bay to a truck stop north of L.A. where it was broken into. 
on the evening of July 10th, where did I, I lost my spot here. On the evening of July 10th, more than 70 bags of jewelry were loaded into the Brinks truck in San Mateo. The truck took off after around midnight and began its journey toward Brinks George Yard in Los Angeles, with one armed guard driving and the other sleeping in a designated area. A couple of hours later, the guard pulled into the Flying J truck stop in Lebec, about an hour north of L.A. The driver went into the restaurant for food, leaving his fellow guard to sleep. But when the driver returned about a half hour later, he noticed that the driver's, the truck's rear lock had been cut away. And it's, it's distressing to know that a Brinks truck lock could be cut away. The guard who had been sleeping in the back said that he did not see or hear anything unusual. But after taking stock of the items with law enforcement, it was determined that 22 blag, bags of jewelry were missing. And uh, moving down here. We're talking multi-millions uh, here. It is huge amount of money. The jeweler, jeweler's lawsuit says the bags contained tens of millions of dollars worth of jewelry and gemstones. They allege that the truck was parked in a poorly lit area with the rear door facing away from the restaurant and out of view of surveillance cameras, which is something given a truck stop. And having um, been in a tr few truck stops in my day as both a car driver and then with my brother Brian when he was a truck driver, a lot of video cameras, because there's always suspicious stuff going on there. Um, so there. This is an absolutely huge crime. We're talking gold, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and loads of luxury watches. So I think that we, uh, and the Oracle's already typing it down there, um, this certainly has all the feeling of an inside job. That somebody would know that that Brinks truck, of course, every Brinks truck, I guess, is going to be carrying something valuable. But what are the odds that these thieves would, were they following the truck from San Mateo? Or it's hard to believe that they just happened upon it. <laughs> just driving around, hey, there's a Brinks truck in a, in a truck stop. Imagine that. And just happened to have the right equipment to break it open. So a couple possibilities. Obviously, at least one of those guards was in on it. Not a crazy idea given the circumstances as it sounds. But we also can't rule out that because – once again, who would have known that the jewelry was in the truck? Of course, the, maybe the drivers the drivers would know, but how many outside of them would know? Would anybody else at Brinks know that? Maybe somebody who scheduled the pickup or something? Maybe. But I, I got to tell you, you know, and, and dare I say it, you know, of course, there have been inside jobs with Brinks trucks. In fact, uh, there's some very, very well-known Brinks truck robbery from back in the 70s that was an inside job, and the person got away with it. I don't think the person was ever caught. In fact, I think that's happened a couple times. So it is possible to have an inside job where somebody, a Brinks employee or Wells Fargo or any one of those companies, is on the inside, and they just take off with the money or whatever else. It's happened successfully. But still, if you're like, if the, like the sleeping guard was in on it, 
is this really how you want to be part of this crime? Because you know you're going to be the one that's going to be under the hot lights. Because every I think law enforcement is going to react like all we have or do. Well, this sounds like an inside job, and who who would have known that that guard would be sleeping right at the right time? Why would somebody involved in this know, a guard know that, you know, this is going to make me look guilty, and I am guilty, but I don't want them to know that I'm guilty, and so why would this person take part in this, knowing that he or she would be the only one who's going to be interrogated in this gang that planned this all out? It's hard to understand. I mean, I guess if you're really, 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 really desperate, I suppose. But, you know, I would, I would be like, no, let's do something else. I'm not going to be the only person who's going to get friction from the police on this. So there's that. So I have to tell you that the way I look at this, I'm more inclined to believe that somebody connected to the jewelers is involved in this. That this was planned by them and they knew that maybe it was just happened to be that that guy was sleeping or something. Um, And maybe, I I guess we can't rule this out, maybe they were planned to kill the driver or drivers if they got in the way. We can't rule that out. Maybe they just feel lucky, hey, we can pull this off without killing anybody. Maybe. But it does kind of feel like this is an inside job more with the jewelers than it would be with the guards themselves. Of course, what are the odds that the other guy, I mean, what are the odds that one guy goes inside? Could anybody predicted that, that this guy would go inside to go eat or whatever, and the other one would just happen to be sleeping? Does, of course, you could... Uh, infer from that that both of them were in on it. But then the question is, what are the odds that the 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 heist people would be able to know that these two workers at this company would just happen to be with these jewelers and they would be getting these jewels? I mean, you really, really, really have to think through this. And it does get complicated very quickly. And that's why I'm thinking, I think, at least one of the jewelers ripped off all the other jewelers. Kind of pretty sure. This does, of course, have a mob feel to it, which once again would seem to me more something along the jeweler line than the uh, Brinks worker employer you know, line. So that's the update. Now we know how they were able to pull this off. Um, And yes, as uh, Sri is writing, yeah, and on top of that, they're inflating the the numbers. They only wrote in short for 8.7 million, but they're trying to stuff that, oh, no, 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 wait, it was really 22 million. That sounds shady all on its own. So, um, fantastic story. Uh, But it's kind of like a missing persons case. The the jeweler, the jewelry and other things are missing. And so we have to look at this, you know, like we look at a at a disappearance. Uh, if somebody was driving somewhere and maybe it looks like that person got 
kidnapped and maybe it's somebody of affluence. Maybe it's a famous actor or a singer or an athlete. Then we have to start thinking, well, who would have known that this person was driving from here to there? And it's, there's no way that the person, somebody could have driven by because the, let's say the windows were all blacked out, you know, tinted and everything. And the person had a regular license plate. It wasn't some, uh, you know, stylized license plate or personal license plate, for example, that said Tom Brady on it let, or, or LeBron or something. Then we'd have to start thinking, well, we have to, who knew that that person was driving from point A to point B? And I think that's how we have to think about this. Fascinating story. As I think I stated last week, art, the, art theft, which is once again, another form of disappearance. Paintings are missing. Always catch my attention, which everybody's saying. Um, TD says, who was that woman that always shot guns with both hands at the same time? She birthed twins in real life. I enjoyed her character. I don't, Annie Oakley, I guess. I am honestly saying Annie Oakley, maybe. Hello, Gordon, what's going on? No, you mean in person of interest? Never watched it. Shree said, I'm so disappointed. It's not a real heist if the dude was sleeping. Well, you, you have high standards, Shree. High, high standards. Coffee, what? A Brinks truck lock was cut away? Uh, coffee, I had the same uh, reaction. It just doesn't seem like that would be possible. But here's what, he, what we know. Somebody knew it was possible. That's what counts. Jasmine says, I thought it was an inside job. What very well could be an inside job, but I think that doesn't necessarily mean it was an inside job from the Brinks end. It might be an inside job from the jeweler end. Uh, the Roracle, why was he in the truck stop that long? Was it a Bucky's? I don't know. It was a Flying J, which I've stopped at those. Uh, but I've never spent a half hour at one, uh, maybe go to the bathroom, maybe pick up some beef jerky or something. I never like eat there, but of course truck drivers do. Uh, Puma says, how do you not hear anything? Good question. I don't know. <clears throat> and, uh, Charlie, uh, Sheree says, as I stated before, right now, they are trying to inflate the estimated value of the jewelry. They are. Were the jewels not insured? Well, they were Oracle, but when the policy was originally written, the jewelers only wanted to pay. Uh, they said that the that all this stuff was only worth $8.7 million. They are now claiming now that the stuff is stolen that it was $22 million. So that. Um, Richard says, most of the time, the drivers have a background check and insured by Lords of London. They don't let Joe Blow from Idaho drive those trucks. Richard, I have to agree with you. You know, but as we know, Richard's, you know, sometimes people get compromised over time. You know, I don't know how long these two people worked at Brinks, but they may do background checks. But how often? Of course, we have to realize in these days with inflation and nobody should be looking at their 401ks right now. Uh, talk about a hurricane. Um, sometimes people get compromised some way, one way or the other. And that's exactly what some people like that are looking for. Uh, especially uh, if it is kind of a mob or gang type of thing. But I, I Richard, I agree with you, though. Um. 
you don't have to apologize, Marlene. So that is a fascinating story. So let's move on to a couple other things. Uh, What's on the next? Okay. I know I've been avoiding talking about this, but I have to talk about it now because this is going to lead. No, I want to do this. No, I I switched my – I want to – I changed my mind. I want to read this story about media and crime first, and then I'm going to relate that to a recent story connected to uh, disappearance that Unfound has covered. This is a story that was in the, if you can believe it, it was in the, in the student newspaper for Grand Valley University, which is in Michigan. This is a, from a student newspaper. It's a fantastic article. So I'm going to read it for you uh, right now. I have some comments that I'm going to um, relate this to something going on in Unfound World. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, crime rates have surged throughout the United States. Reports and portrayals of crime, more specifically violent crime, draw a near constant focus, focus in news coverage at a local and national level. As we attempt to digest this influx of reporting online and printing over their airwaves, the level of violence feels overwhelming. The fixation on violence in the media and the minds of those who consume the news results in the potential vulnerability of subconscious prejudices that have an impact on social and political policy. According to the Brendan Center, the Brennan Center for Justice, violent crime offenses as a whole rose by 5.2% in 2020, murder, aggravated assault, robbery, and rape. In its own category, the number of murders per 100,000 people rose nearly 29% in all cities and jurisdictions nationwide. Each with crime rising with social interactions became more frequent as pandemic-era lockdowns were lifted. The John Howard Society of Canada reports that recent studies aren't giving nearly as much attention to the real level of public risk. Instead, media stories are geared toward paying playing at the emotions of their audience with the goal of provoking anger, fear, or sadness. This can be seen in local instances at Grand Valley State University following reports of a shooting at Canvas Town Homes, an off-campus student housing complex in Allendale. This led to rumors on social media surrounding what sparked the occurrence, coverage from local news outlets, and GFSU safety alert emails. Emails were also issued to residents of Canvas from management regarding a gathering policy, which, cre- which created a zero-tolerance policy for social gatherings, gatherings following the shooting. This policy provi- prohibited large groups of people and enumerated consequences for those who do not follow the policy. The complex attributed the currents to a large gathering that they said attracted the wrong crowd. Although isolated shootings on after on off-campus housing have occurred recently and in years past. Reports by the GFSU annual security and fire report states that that five total weapon offenses were cited between 2018 and 2020, four of which led to an arrest. With these events happening later in the evening, misinformation can spread quickly. Students sharing this online becomes a game of telephone. The information can spiral and appear worse than it actually is. And I have this following part highlighted in red. Proper coverage of crime allows the public to be skeptical and understand that each report must be viewed through a critical lens of circumstances that may not be covered in a single report's label of it. 
Understanding the benefit of a case-by-case analysis creates a better chance of not making generalizations of these occurrences in order to properly combat potential social harm and prejudices. So, great article uh, from a college newspaper. Love it. Look at me calling college media sites. Do they even print newspapers anymore? But here's what I get out of it. I think what this writer's trying to say, this reporter's trying to say, is something that I have talked about. I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but um, and it's something that I – it actually came up in one of the presentations last week because somebody kind of asked me a question about it, and I think it had to do with sex trafficking. might have been the – maybe it was – kind of got that question of both, but I think I expounded on one of them a little bit more. But we must keep perspective on disappearances Um, because uh, even though we know that many of them are crimes, we suspect that a majority of them are murders, and I think there's a lot of reasons. Once again, when we look at certain ones it's maybe easier to tell maybe some other ones it's harder to tell and then of course there are ones where there's really no prospect of that but we must keep perspective on disappearances keeping everything in line keeping everything factual going with the statistics not blowing things out of proportion we have to remember that disappearances get covered Because they're crimes, but even for the ones that aren't, we don't even believe crimes were committed. We cover them because how they affect people. You have to remember that. A lot of the disappearances that we cover on Unfound don't necessarily have any crime connected to them. So we do not cover them because we think crimes have been committed. We cover them because of the effect They have on people, and when people are affected, society is affected. Not We do not cover them necessarily because they are common. In fact, the disappearances that we cover on Unfound, these ones that are a year or year old or older, they're fairly rare. As I continue to say, 99.9% of these police reports or missing persons reports that are filled out don't end up lasting more than a week or a couple weeks or something. The ones that we cover on Unfound are that like 1% or 0.05%. That doesn't make them any less important because it's just a small percentage. Uh, But we cover them because these are affecting people's lives. And even these disappearances that last even a week Those affect people's lives too, but the thing is those get resolved. The ones that we cover don't. And so that pain, the not knowing, dare I say it, the paranoia that comes along with a lot of our guests, they start thinking, you know, what is going on in my life? What is going on in my family's life that this happens? This is happening. We cover these disappearances because they affect people. And yes, some of them are crimes too. But this is also why, as I stated I, I, in one of those Q&As, that – and if, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was the Florida Southern College one – is that I made a point of stating that 
I don't consider myself to be an necessarily a missing persons advocate. Uh, I know that maybe that A word comes out once in a while, maybe just because I'm fishing for something to say, a noun to put in there. But I state for the record, I do not consider myself to be a missing persons advocate. I am a reporter, a little bit of an investigator, a whole bunch of a researcher, certainly a confidant, a consultant, but I am not an advocate. Because of the reasons I think that I talked about in the Q&A is because when I start thinking about advocacy, I start thinking about what this person who wrote this article is talking about kind of blowing things out of proportion that to get attention for something, you have to overstate it. And of course they feel very self-righteous in doing that because they think the topic is so important. And I think the topic that came up was sex trafficking. You know, how many of the disappearances that, I've worked on or have been reported, have been episodes unfound or sex trafficking. I stated less than five. We certainly might, certainly can put um, Jesse Foster in there. Certainly. Maybe we might want to put Tiffany Daniels in there. Maybe we could think about, um, you know, a couple others, maybe especially some of these younger girls, uh, you know, who went missing. Uh, Leanne Hosberg in New York City, I suppose we could entertain that, but there's really not that many. And really, I think that the the demographic of all the disappearances we've covered on Unfound, it's pretty diverse. Different ages, different ethnic groups, different races, different locations, different income levels, addicts, non-addicts, I mean, the whole gamut. And still, we still have very, very few sex trafficking cases. Although what might skew that is that we don't do a ton of child disappearances for reasons that I've talked about over and over and over. And so I like to keep these things in perspective. And I think that when you can present a kind of topic, whether it is sex trafficking or disappearances or whatever, in a factual way, instead of... Um, blowing things out of proportion, which I think they do get advocates for anything. And I'm not just picking out sex trafficking. It just happened to be the question that was asked me last week. Advocates for anything on any topic. Doesn't have anything to do with true crime or politics or sport. It could be anything. Advocates tend to be a little overzealous. Whereas I believe when you can present things in a factual way and then still persuade people how important it are, it's so much more powerful. Because here's what I'm here to tell you. When you overstate things, when you are overzealous, when you put things out of proportion and everything, sooner or later, the public will realize that. And then you automatically lose credibility. Whereas when you present things factually, dare I say it, very black and white, without the emotion and things involved, that is the best way to persuade people. And that's why when I go to and speak to these criminal justice majors and things, I do not distort what what is going on with disappearances in the United States. 100,000 at least are unsolved. It is a horrible number. 
But I also know that still the disappearances that we cover on Unfound are rare. But that doesn't matter because we cover them because of the way they affect people, not because they are common or uncommon. So this is a big deal to me. Um, it's it, And um, this is why I think, once again, this is a question that came up. I think this came up in the uh, Q&A down at Nova Southeastern is this is one of those things where because I think that way, it's easy for me to um, you know, keep my emotions out of it. And as I stated in that Q&A, these people do not come to me because they need a shoulder to cry on. So there's that. Uh, let me see what everybody is uh, saying here. Um, remember, good news, Richard says, remember, good news doesn't sell newspapers. That's true. Um, Lisa, Ed, you used to do live shows during Better Call Saul, and now it's during Monday Night Football. So now I have football on mute, so I don't keep missing you. Lisa, I'm glad to hear that you have your uh, your priorities straight in your life. Okay. You know, the fact is I knew that was going to be an issue. And if you want to watch, you want to watch. If you want to catch it in the replay, you can do it. And the fact is, I'm sure that no matter what time I picked, it would be bad for a group of people. So, but I appreciate it, Lisa. Uh, thank you. I can say that I've never watched Better Call Saul. I never watched Breaking Bad either. I've never seen... Um, uh, what what it's some of these Mad Men and all these shows, uh, Game of Thrones. I've never seen any of them. I don't have time to watch them. Uh, the last um, series, long series like that that I got into was The Sopranos. Of course, I watched those Disney Plus shows like with the Marvel, with Hawkeye and everything, but those only run for like four or five, six weeks or something like that. Uh, Coffee says, Peggy and Patty McDaniel could have been sex trafficked. Maybe coffee. Um, not sure about that. Unfortunately, I believe that they are deceased, and I don't think they ever had any chance to be sex trafficked because they knew what happened in that murder down there. Still hard to say, though. And we have to remember this was 1979. Coffee says Chelsea Cobo. That's certainly one that we might think about that as well. Surely Chelsea Cobo is one as well. Um, Ferry says, I think you said that was more a crime that happens to children who go missing. Sex trafficking, somewhat true. But as I stated, I think once again in that Q&A is that we can't get too crazy when we hear about these, these stories about um, 15 children, you know, tracked down. These are not children who are necessarily missing. And there, there might not have even been an Amber Alert or anything put out for them. These could be children who are in custody battles and things aren't being followed. Certainly, thing you know, things that you know go along those lines. We shouldn't get the idea that there was some room out there that had fifty children in it, and they were all be being kept there and, and everything else. It's not quite like that. I recognize that once in a while that happens, but you know, and I've and I didn't type them out or print their copy them into this. But if you really look at the studies on sex trafficking, it's not as common as everybody thinks. 
And dare I say it, and I even brought this up in one of those Q&As, I brought up that Castro guy who had those three women, grown women, who, you know, in a dungeon in his, in his house in Cleveland. And I don't think we've had a story like that yet since. Maybe there was like one woman who was being held against her will, and it's certainly horrible, but something to that magnitude of more than one woman being held for years, we haven't had, maybe I've missed it. But being that I can't think of another one off the top of my head just shows me how rare it is. So we have to keep that in mind. It's still horrible, and and these should be solved. But we have to tell the truth to people about this. Now, of course, advocates worry, well, if we really you know, tell them the facts about it and we tell them that's not common, people won't take it seriously. I would just say that you just aren't then trying hard enough. That's what I would say. Uh, I, I can tell you right now, I plan to be working on disappearances for the rest of my life, and I'm never going to lie about them. Not to all of you, not to the guests, not to the students. Not to anybody else I talk to. I'm always going to be factual about them, and then I'm going to continue to recognize that they aren't that common, but the reason we do it is for some totally different reason. Um, so what else? Um, Coffee J.C. Jugard and her daughters. The real sex trafficking theories even come up to the Brian Schaefer case. It's completely unrealistic. Of course it is. For some reason, those theories always get thrown into the mix in the most likely on cases. Uh, the real what I would say is people bring that up because they just want something to talk about. They're bored. It's one in the morning on a Wednesday, and they can't go to sleep. So they get on some chat room, and they just bring up something. That's – and unfortunately, people then start talking to this person. Now, having all said all of that about the media and crime – and media may be distorting things and everything else, I bring you to this story. Maybe you've heard already, but uh, on that radio station with that radio host, I have heard, or somebody has posted it in the discussion group. I did not know about it before it was posted there. That there is going to be some sort of... um, I don't know what else. To, uh, I said debate, but some some people said probably it's not going to be like that. But something is going to go on that radio station with that host where Michael Crane, who is a, um, let's just call him a Tom Brown skeptic, is going to be on that radio show with that radio host with somebody from Klein Investigations. Now, it may be Phil Klein. I mean – but somebody from Klein Investigations is going to go on with Michael Crane at the same time. And I guess they're going to try to have some, like I said, the only word I can think of is debate or whatever else. Now, I'm here to tell all of you this is sensationalism. This is only being done for ratings. That's it. There is no substantial crime-solving reason to do any of this. Nothing is going to come out of this. Nothing is going to, the the only thing is everybody's going to get to show off their egos and it's going to be, I'm guessing that it must be sweeps week in Texas. But that's going to happen. 
And the article that I just read, of course, is the antithesis of this. Anybody, I mean, I'm guessing that everybody in that kind of the area, that area of Texas, and of course we know that Tom Brown's death now uh, has moved outside of Texas, maybe due to Unfound's coverage, but I'd like to think we covered it the right way. But this is go- this is going to happen, and there's nothing good that can come of it. This is like uh, pro wrestling. We're going to get a, you know, WrestleMania. We're going to get these guys all in the same ring, and we're going to see what happens. The difference is that Pro wrestling is fake, if you don't know. It's soap opera for for uh, teenagers and up. You know, it's like, should I say, pro wrestling is soap operas for men, is really what it is. Um, and this is all that this is. Um, it's just disgusting. This is not going to add credibility to anything. And this is what I know. That Michael Crane or anybody inclined investigation would even agree to this tells me that I've had both sides pegged for months, if not years. Of course, Michael Crane's a little new on the scene maybe this year. But I I had him pegged since just about the beginning. And of course, I've had Phil Klein pegged for a couple years now. They are just, I'm going to use this word. I know it's a PG program, but I'm just going to say it here. They are media whores. This has nothing to do with solving Tom's. This is just an argue program. This, you know, take me, takes me back to the days of like, remember Crossfire and CNN? It's only done for ratings. Nothing gets shown. Nothing gets solved. Nothing, you know, there are no progress made. It's only done so people can sit and watch people argue and root for one side over the other. That is it. We already have something in the United States regarding that. It's called sports, where really nothing as it is at stake. I realize there's a lot of money in it. I realize people get uh, famous and everything, but it is surely not life and death. So what they're going to do in a situation, no matter what you may believe or think happened to Tom Brown, it's still life and death. And here they're going to do is they're going to make a mockery of it by getting on there and arguing back and forth, using that as the topic. It is disgusting. It's disgusting. Anybody who is professional, who uh, is modest and humble and, you know, is doing things for the right reason, any person who was asked to do something like this would reject it. You know, for me, if somebody were to ask me, Ed, would you consider? No. Ed, I'm going to have somebody on who, who described, no. The answer is always no. I'm not going to go on. You want to talk to me? You want to interview me? We want to have a substantial conversation about disappearances and what's wrong with them and what can be fixed and everything else and spread that to all your listeners and be constructive. I'm there. I will be there 15 minutes early. Anything like this, before you even finish the question, the answer is no. Always. 
It's it's you know the funny thing is Michael Crane and whoever's going to be from Klein Investigations, they're grown adults. Grown adults, maybe around maybe Michael Crane's a little younger, but somewhere in that Gen X area of age. Whereas the person who wrote the article that I just read before, like a 20-year-old. That 20-year-old has more of a handle on the media and how the media should relate to crime than these people do. It's disgusting. So what's everybody saying here? Um, The Real says, then they uh, attack whoever politely disagrees with them. Regarding advocates, I think, I, I know. They uh the real they need their attention, they need their love. And you know, they you know, one of the things is that because they think uh they they latch onto a topic in which the topic gives them credibility. And this is something also that I'm starting, you know, to realize about people's character and everything else is sometimes people who don't have character try to get jobs where they will then automatically be considered to have character. And one of the ways that you can get character pretty quickly is latching yourself on to some um, sympathetic cause. That instead of building character on your own, being a good person, following the law, being kind to others – opening doors for little old ladies and everything else. No, I'm not going to change my behavior, but I'm going to latch onto this thing over here. That's really, really good. And then I'm, cons- I'm not going to be changed my ways. I'll just attach my horse to this. And then nobody can question my in- integrity. That happens a lot. Um, it's that Jane lady, Puma says. Uh, speaking of disappearances, Jason Landry will be the subject. I do know of the next disappearance, uh, disappeared episode. Thank you for telling me that. Marlene, what are the odds that of the three new disappeared episodes, I've covered two of them on Unfound Now? Maybe I should be sending them a bill, uh, me doing their work for them. <laughs> what are the odds? Kristen Bergman and now Jason Landry. Who would have thunk it? Uh, there's hope says, I think it's such a shame. People are still doing that version of journalism. Guess it'll never go away. Gets big ratings. There's hope. I mean, Hey, the public is to blame too. The public is to blame too, because here's what I know. I'm going off on this. Many of Unfound's listeners are going to hear that. And guess what? Some of them are probably going to still try to figure out, you know, uh, listen to this when it happens. Just keep working at it. That's all I can do. Uh, So is that DJ host? Certainly. And that's why, Puma, we don't ever mention his name or the radio station. That's why I always say that host on that radio show. I never mention his name, never mention the call sign. (laughs) Because I have to reference it somehow. That's the only way I can do it. There's hope, says people like Klein uh, remind us importance of checking lots of different sources to weed out the media's uh, W's. Um, me, uh, Betty, I, uh, Shree, uh, you deleted that. That's fine. But uh, Betty wanted to say BS artist. I think we could have allowed that, Shree. Sorry about that, Betty. Uh, but Shree, I understand. Not, not complaining. But uh, Betty, I can't argue with you on that. The Real says, that is so true. Well said. 
Uh, Don asked me, are you zone A? I am. Uh, going back to the hurricane topic, I am in zone A. Thank you for reminding me. I was just starting to forget about that hurricane, uh, the hurricane when you asked me that, Donna. Thanks. Um, uh, uh, thanks, uh, Ferry. It's called false or cheap power. Is that what it's called, Ferry? Thank you. I think we see this a, a lot of places. Uh, we see, I think, this in politics, that people can't get credibility on their own, so they want importance, so they try to run for office. You might even put Steve Pankey in that. I mean, you don't have to believe whether he killed Janelle Matthews or not, but he certainly seems like the type of guy who is really strange. But dang it, I'm still I'm going to add, you know, get some power by becoming a politician. I think we could say that this happens in law enforcement. That um, you know, automatically, at least in most circles these days, you become a police officer. You automatically get a lot of credibility. What does this cause? This then causes those bad people who become cops to continue to be bad people. And they know that. They know they're bad. They know that these things that they did before becoming a police officer, whatever they are, were bad. And they did them anyway. And they're not going to change, but still they become a police officer or something in a position of power. And that gives them cover. You know, you might also think of that about that. Like with priests, the reason they were able to get away with what they did for all those years, because they were priests. They were not priests who just happened to be pedophiles. They were pedophiles who just happened to be priests. And we maybe could talk about that with um, Boy Scout leaders and, you know, and that whole topic and other places too. Um, All sorts of different areas. People can't get the respect that they want on their own, so they attach themselves to something else that already has respect, and they never change their ways. They never look at themselves in the mirror and say, the reason I'm not getting any respect is because I'm not a good person. (laughs) Actually, they think other people are wrong because they're pathological. So – but I thought I wanted to bump that – the media story with – uh, put those two things uh, together. Uh, it's quite a contrast. All right. Taking, uh, getting off the soapbox because I only have 20 minutes left. Uh, newsletter. Of course, we're getting toward the end of the month. I'm going to write it. I don't know when it's going to get out, but I'm going to write it. Uh, Unfound now. I've already picked out the disappearance that I, I'm going to talk about. I don't know when I'm going to be able to film it. If I choose to go out of town, maybe I'll, when I get over there tomorrow evening, I'll get it done, but, and maybe I'll be able to upload it if the electricity doesn't go off first, but they're going to get done. Um, it's just that, uh, electricity and access to, uh, the internet of course plays almost a 100% role in whether all of you get it. Now, moving on, uh, this is something that I brought up last week that it turned out that many of you ended up being right that yes, I am going back to Greeley, Colorado for the retrial of Steve Pankey. And I had, it wasn't a very long, I mean, like I said, I, there was really nothing said in this uh, conversation that I had last Friday that I think it's protected or anything else um, that I can't say, but 
Uh, the dates are going to be October 19th through 20th of the 22nd. So that's a, uh, it's like the same thing as last year. It's a Wednesday through a Saturday. Uh, I'm guessing I'll fly out there Wednesday. I guess be on the stand again on a Thursday. Maybe that'll turn over into Friday. I guess we'll see. And then I will come back that Saturday. Don't know what I'm going to do for an unfound episode, but I'll figure something out. It just It's looking like right now that October, when it comes to episodes, is going to be a little more complex than I would like. Because like I said, we've got this hurricane thing that I'm going to have to deal with. Then the week after that, um, I'm going on a disc golf trip uh, to USDGC in South Carolina with uh, two friends of mine. Uh, we're leaving on a Wednesday, coming back a Monday. I'm hoping that I can get an episode done and load it up there when I'm there, but you never know. And then I'll have that next week kind of off. Well, then the next week after that is when I'll be going to Colorado on Wednesday. Crazy. You know, the funny thing is that uh, October last year was just as crazy. I had a lot. I had my first presentation going to Colorado. Uh, a bunch of things were going on that month. I had a Kiss concert that I went to. And on everything on top of that, Iron Maiden is coming to Tampa. That is if Tampa is still a city a month from now. Um, in October, the end of October, and I have tickets. So I'll be going to that. A lot of things going on in October. Um, but I will be going back out there. Uh, I think he's going to try to make it easier for me this time as far as what I have to do. Given that I've already done it once, uh, I certainly told him I thanked him for that. I'll do, of course, whatever he wants. Of course, the defense will have something to say about, uh, for example, if I have to sit up on the witness stand all that time, uh, we'll see. So, and I, and I deeply appreciate him taking that into consideration. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to hold it against him. I know, you know, I, I'll, I'll just do what I have to do. But that is going to happen. And so Charles, who uh, maybe he's still in here, maybe not, I guess we'll be uh, seeing each other. And I've already given him the dates of Charles and sons want to come up and see me. I really, even though I know it's not uh, a short drive. Um, Fairy says, you're welcome. When people feel powerless, they attach themselves to someone or something, someone else's, something else's power. Uh, Karen, Ed, you're going to have to listen to that three hour episode again. Uh, Karen, I might, um, I might, uh, but once again, I don't know if I can get into, we did talk about that, but I don't really want to get into that. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Hard to say, uh, either way, Karen, I'll probably just listen to it on my own anyway, because I can talk about what I did last time. What happened the last time when I got there was that. I landed, got up to my room, went over to the courthouse, and then for the rest of the day, or at least part of the rest of the day, I listened to the interview and then had to sign off it, on it afterwards. Not sure if I'll have to do that this time. Uh, Charles says, yep, uh, looking to come up. Spectacular, Charles. That'll be, uh, yeah, that'll be great. Awesome. So that's what's going on there. So not only will... Uh, I'd be the only true crime podcaster to ever appear as a witness in a trial. I will now be the first podcaster to ever do it twice. So never could have thunk it. Uh, and I did get to talk a little bit about that, um, in my, 
in my uh, presentations. It is it is part of the presentations. In fact, it's right at the beginning where I talk about my experience, kind of my resume. That is certainly on there. Uh, it's certainly something that I have to talk about. Uh, how much time do we have left? About 13 minutes left. Uh, I want to talk about this. Uh, remains were found just north of me. Uh, you know, here I, although my address is Clearwater Beach, technically I do not live on Clearwater Beach. I'm actually closer to what they call Bel Air Bleach, Bel Air Bleach, Bel Air Beach, which is just south of me. And there is Sand Key. So technically I live, uh, as far as beach language goes, at Sand Key. I don't live on Clearwater Beach, which is the very touristy city area. And there's hotels up there and everything. But I do have a Clearwater Beach address. But I kind of live in Sand Key. And, but up on Clearwater Beach, and so this would be directly to my left, which is north. Up there a few miles where kind of the road ends. It gets like the, they just run out of land. It gets to a dead end up there and, uh, you know, the water's there and everything. Up that area, they actually found somebody's remains in the mangroves. And these mangroves are a type of plant that kind of grow very close to the water. And in fact, kind of reach down into the water. And so I'm just going to read this article for you. Uh, Clearwater police say bones found in the mangroves on Clearwater Beach on Thursday, so last Thursday, appeared to be human. According to a release from the Clearwater Police Department, a county worker reported finding the bones in some mangroves on the island just after 9 a.m. Police said the remains were found in the 1200 block of Mandalay Point Road. And like I said, if you were to put that in Google Maps, you're going to see it's way up there on the other side of the touristy area. And I have to tell you, I think I've only been up there once. My buddy Trevor, who was a disc golfer, used to live up on that other side. And I went to his house for Thanksgiving in like 2013 or something. But then he moved. But that's the only time I've ever been up there. But, you know, it's a beach area. But the more you go up there, the more sparse it becomes. And then it just ends. But, um, and it says Manley Point Road, which appears to be north of where the road ends, like I said. News Channel 8 has reached out to Clearwater Police for clarification. The remains had likely been in the mangroves for a few weeks. According to Clearwater Police, the the Pinellas County Medical Examiner's Office is working to identify the remains and determine a cause of death. Um, I did not have a chance to look up and see if anybody has gone missing up that way. So I don't know. I I, I really, uh, of course... In Tampa, Clearwater area is no different than any place else. People go missing. But as we know, most of them are found pretty quickly, whether alive or deceased. But, of course, what concerns me here is it seems like, uh, according to at first look, that these remains uh, had been there a few weeks. So this then extends kind of that period. This goes then longer than the average age, at least in my perception, that a disappearance lasts. My first instinct is to think that this is some homeless person, but we don't know. Um, You would think that if it was a tourist, for example, that if somebody went swimming and had a heart attack, let's say, and then the the water kind of washed them into these mangroves, that there 
there would be a bigger story. And I have to admit, I kind of do keep a tabs on missing persons cases that happen in my area. And there's just nothing that I saw anyway that happened recently that can be connected to this. Now, we might think of another possibility. Is this a boater? Did somebody capsize a boat and uh, drifted in? This once again, this seems like it would be a bigger event where more news, for example, somebody went out on his boat and never came back. To me, that sounds like a story that would be pretty well covered um, locally. Once again, there's nothing that I've seen uh, recently that goes along with that. Of course, maybe this person was deposited there. Maybe this person was murdered and somebody put the body there. Of course, that's always possible. But I, I got to say that this strikes me, knowing that area is, is up there and everything, I'm inclined to think, unfortunately, this was maybe some sort of homeless situation. And the person died for, for some reason. Of course, given that this is Florida, given that it's hot, it could have been it could have been drugs, but it could have been sunstroke. That's possible too. So no, um I'll try to keep an eye on this. And it very well may be that by this time, since this article came out, that they already know who this person is, but I've not seen anything like that. But it just seems to me that the the number one choice would be some sort of transient person, given that area. Um, there, Hey, we do have, if I can say it this way, we do have beach bums, which, of course, if the beach wasn't there, they would just be known as homeless people. But we do have beach bums. We have people who... Uh, live on the beach. Not so much up in this area because this is a very touristy area, but kind of like where I used to live in Madeira Beach, which is kind of more of a community. Certainly they have tourists there too, but a lot more like houses and single family dwellings up down there than here. We used to see beach bums on the beach all the time. I'm not doing anything untoward or anything, but you just kind of knew that these people probably did not have a permanent roof over their heads. So there's that story just right up, like I said, probably uh, three miles north of me, probably something like that. So uh, I think it's about time um, that um, looking, yeah, uh, Penny says made it. Well, I answered your question. You know, you did ask me this other question, Penny, that I didn't get to. So maybe now that you're here, I can answer it. Um, do you feel there is a need or place for a missing persons division separate from law enforcement? Um, kind of child protective services, et cetera, separate. I realize missing persons moniker is included in most law enforcement divisions. Well, the thing is, Penny, it's not. Uh, I always make the point in my presentations of letting the the students know that only the biggest of the biggest of the biggest departments, police departments in the United States, have missing persons divisions that are dedicated to nothing else. Everywhere else, if you're going to get a disappearance case looked at, it's probably going to be somebody who is more, you know, homicide person or domestic violence or robbery or something like that. It is not going to be a disappearance specialist. Now, the reason that is, is because, as I stated earlier in the show, 
disappearances are fairly rare, and a lot of them just solve themselves. Whereas the reason that they have divisions in these really, really big police departments is because they have so many people, and it's it's a more common occurrence. Because, once again, not because necessarily disappearances as a percentage of the population happen more there. It's just there's more people there, so there are more disappearances. And it's worth them having people who are just dedicated to that. Every other place, it just is a bit efficient. And I, I recognize that. And this is why I stated, if you're going to be thinking about going into law enforcement, you need to know this. Because one of these days, you're going to show up as a person, just as a patrol officer. And maybe you're, you're in your department, you might have to look into some robberies and other things too. Well, here's what I know. Parents don't want to hear that you, you, when you tell them, you know what? Oh, this is a disappearance. I've never done one of these before. I don't know anything about them. They don't want to hear that. You're going to have to be a master of all trades in most police departments. That's the way it's going to have to be. You're going to have to know a little bit about anything. Only in the biggest of the biggest do people get to be specialized. And it's a money thing, too. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Laura, I also have your question. I almost forgot about it. Uh, Laura, I know you're in here. I know you're in the hospital, so I think I should answer your question, being that you're going through some tough times here. Uh, and it's a good question. Were, would you consider doing consulting or advising or like mentoring training program for your method of investigating disappearances? I think you have great information that detectives, private investigators, and nonprofits involved with disappearance could really benefit from. Uh, it's certainly something that's on the burner, as they say, Lara. I wouldn't necessarily say it's something on the front burner. But it is something that I've talked to at least a couple people about recently, thinking about it. What could I do? Um, I think I don't think it was you, Laura, but somebody who is a Patreon supporter brought it up. So maybe there is some sort of desire for something, creating some sort of uh, training program that could be done online or bought online or something like that. Certainly. Um, I, I would be very cautious in talking about investigating disappearances. Um, although I have been an investigator once in a while, like uh, Cameron Remmers. I think more, Lara, I would probably more like the terminology of how to look at disappearances. And because that's where the real failing comes. It's in those first moments when an information is being given to a police officer or a private investigator. And really, for the most part, that person even though the information is being given to them, the person doesn't know how to look at it, doesn't know what the important parts are, doesn't know how to pick out those things and then ask questions as follow-up. These are not things that are natural. The only way you can do this is if you understand, you have a general understanding of disappearances. That's the only way you can ask good questions. And so... um. I would not say investigate disappearances because when it comes to law enforcement, I really don't know what it takes to, to get a warrant. Okay. That's for example, but I do know how to talk to people about disappearances and speak to them and question them and 
pick out those parts that are the most important. Once again, that's something you learn over time. So I certainly, and then maybe doing some online stuff with databases and things that's all relevant. I could think about putting something together like that. I just wish there were more hours in a day, Laura, but it's certainly something that I'm thinking about. Thank you for the question. Uh, and I think that certainly move unfound into that, you know, just even further, you know, further ahead, dare I say it, further ahead of all the other true crime podcasts out there, even if they do have more listeners and everything else. Uh, coffee says regarding Clearwater, do you believe, uh, the missing person or the unidentified person, do you think it could be a Cuban trying to make it to Florida in a makeshift boat? Not up here, coffee, uh, not up here in Clearwater area. If this was Key West, yeah, but not not up here. Uh, and saw the, what you just said. Oddly enough, I live in three doors away from the manager of the nightclub. Uh, oh, I see. Worked briefly. Okay, Penny, thank you. He quit the club after 30 years. Wow. Hey, Moena. This hope, wow, those two hours go fast. Thank goodness for spammers. No spammers for a while. Okay, there's hopes getting out of here. So I'm going to be getting out of here, but not before I tell you about this Friday's disappearance, which is the disappearance of Jessica Stacks. Uh, see you, Charles. See you, nephew. I'm going to have to do this first. I can't finish a live show without talking about Friday's disappearance, or dare I say it, tomorrow's disappearance. Jessica Stacks, she went missing on New Year's Day 2021. So this is a very new disappearance. And uh, so it's the newest one I think we will have covered yet on Unfound. It's only a year and a half old. I think it's the first disappearance I I think that we will have covered from 2021. She disappeared from Myrtle, Mississippi. A friend of Jessica's family and the Facebook page administrator for Jessica's missing person site on Facebook is the guest. And her name is Rainey. Um, For security reasons, we are not using her last name. And even in fact, I did the Zoom interview with her. There's a picture of her, but uh, we did not get video for her uh, for a couple different reasons. there is some risk involved in this particular disappearance. Of course, this is a very new disappearance. Uh, I'm convinced that the people around Jessica when this disappearance happened are not, not the nicest people in the world. And I would have had either Jessica's uh, aunt, Barb, or mother Kathy on the program, but they're, I can't get into it. They're both going through some very difficult times right now with other things not concerning Jessica's disappearance. In addition, there once again is a safety issue and they live right in the area where this happened. So because of all of that, uh, they know Rainy. They've known her for a while. She runs the Facebook page and she did a great job as the guest. And the title of the episode is called Down by the River. This is another possible river disappearance, just like Shane Fell or Jake Lachalet, uh, Crystal Bailey, Holly White most recently. We get to think a little bit more about disappearances that allegedly happened near rivers. Not lakes, not oceans, but rivers, because rivers pose their own challenges. So that will be this, uh, maybe tomorrow, Jessica Stacks, S-T-A-C-K-S, New Year's Day, Myrtle, Mississippi. 
So that's it. When, when a couple minutes over uh, long, but that's okay. Talked a lot about Hurricane Ian. I'm sure, still not sure what I'm going to do. Uh, next episode is up in the air for October. The poll, speaking engagements, Dr. Telesco, the Tom, the Tom Brown fiasco that's going to happen on radio in Texas soon. Newsletter unfound now. Going to the Panky trial again. The Brinks heist. Talked about median crime. Talked about remains being found at Clearwater Beach. Took some questions from Penny and Laura. And spoke to all of you. That's it. Uh, Great show tonight. Thank you all for making time. All of you podcast people, thank you for subscribing. If you're not yet a subscriber to this show as a podcast, please go do that right now. Subscribe. Consider being a Patreon supporter. Uh, Maybe joining as Jody did tonight. That's all I got. Everybody be safe out there. I promise I'll try to be safe. Good night, everyone. Keep your head on a swivel. See ya.